The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. Many people consider Americans and Canadians to be essentially the same. Most of us speak English, we love baseball, basketball, and football, and we worship our astronauts. Some of the most famous Hollywood actors are actually Canadian. William Shatner, Ryan Reynolds, Donald Sutherland, Jim Carrey, Michael J. Fox, Keanu Reeves, Christopher Plummer, and of course, who can forget, Pamela Anderson. Canadians also played a big role in the U.S. Apollo missions to the moon. Jim Chamberlain from British Columbia was the first program manager of the Gemini missions. Owen Maynard was both chief of the Lunar Module Engineering Office for the Apollo program, and Owen was later the Apollo chief engineer, all from Canada. And of course, we fought arm in arm with America in both wars. But the Great White North is not simply a northern state of the U.S. There are differences, right, Jay? Uh, absolutely. I've probably spent 15% uh, of my professional career as a speaker uh, in Canada. And uh, it, it's quite different, although it was uh, different in, in the years that I was traveling through Canada in a more positive uh, way than it is right now. Oh, yeah. Well, we've almost become like a personal kingdom for our prime minister, an overwhelmingly powerful executive office in Canada. I mean, they just simply decide what to do, the prime minister, whoever it is at the time. And if anyone gets in their way, they're just kicked out of the party uh, or in other ways just dismissed. So, I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near as democratic as you are, Jay. No, there's no question about that. Although our current president, uh, Mr. Biden, is uh, ruling by executive order. And because he has a majority in our House of Representatives, uh, he's able to get away with it. But in our midterm election uh, in November, he will definitely lose the House. And while they can't overrule his executive orders, uh, they will not fund a, a nickel for anything he wants to do that will cost money. So we'll be on our way back in the United States uh, because we are more democratic than uh, than Canada is starting at the end of our midterm election. So uh, beginning in next January, things will be different here than they are now. Yeah. Well, you know, you might have heard in the news that the current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he only got 32 percent of the vote in the last election. That's the lowest percentage any prime minister has ever got. Now, he's just made a deal with the 
socialists with the NDP party, and together they constitute a majority. So Trudeau has essentially said that he's going to rule at least till 2025 as if he had a majority because the NDP are going to back him up on everything. So it doesn't sound very democratic to me. And of course, you might remember Trudeau was the one who said before he was prime minister, when he was head of the Liberal Party, I believe, he said that he admired the communist government because they could get things done efficiently. <laughs> well, he, he is an out-and-out communist, a tyrannical uh, communist. I mean, certainly the worst thing uh, that's ever happened to Canada. And it's going to be interesting uh, comparing these things in a lot of detail uh, with our guest today, who holds joint uh, citizenship and really br was brought up in uh, all over Canada and uh, now has spent a decade in the United States. To discuss all this, we have invited Blaise Vanny to be our guest today. Blaise is a dual U.S.-Canadian citizen who has lived half his life in both countries. He has an M.A. in linguistics from the University of Illinois, Urbana, which is interesting because a quarter of our country, of course, in Canada are Francophone, speaking French as their first language. In fact, that's half of my family. And Blaise also has a graduate degree with a focus on theology, philosophy, and psychology from the University of British Columbia. He's worked as a project manager in the healthcare space for over two decades, managing just under $100 million in healthcare IT implementations. Blaze conducted computer training for the RCMP officers in Ottawa, and he's also taught English at the University of Alberta and University of Ottawa and Carleton University. So welcome to the show, Blaze. Thank you very much. And I might add a couple actors you might have going all the way back in history even Mary Pickford and Raymond Massey were from Canada. And if you didn't have Canadian actors and musicians, you'd turn on the TV and it would just be a white screen with white snows. <laughs> well, that, yeah. that is, uh, that's fascinating, Blaze. Now, you grew up in Canada, living in many parts of the country. What was the reason you moved to uh, Chicago the, in the United States a decade ago? Well, we left during the, um, the referendum uh, in, with Quebec and the Bloc Québécois, and we thought uh, if they seceded, Ottawa was going to be devastated uh, economically. I'm a dual citizen. We just got out a map of North America, and my wife and I said we can move anywhere from Key West in Florida to um, a town many Americans don't know about, but we joke about in Canada called Tuktoyuktuk which is as far north as you can go. I said, we can go anywhere we want or um, anywhere in between. So Chicago at that time, Chicago area, the housing prices were reasonable and there was opportunity. So we ended up here. Also my mother's side of the family goes back in this area of the world. So that's uh, how we ended up here. But I've spent well, many years living in Ottawa. And in fact, I lived pretty much at ground zero of this recent truckers protest in Lower Town. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, what I'm really fascinated to know is what were the first differences you observed after your move uh, to Chicago, comparing life as you knew it in Canada to life as you learned it in the United States? There's much more of a conservative bent uh, here. Now, I did spend a goodly amount of time living in uh, Alberta. Uh, as you know, and the uh, more conservative, obviously. So there's a, a, a great uh, diversity, and that's 
One of the things, if you'd like me to comment on that, because there is a, a massive, for the American listeners, there's a massive bifurcation uh, in Canada between West and East. And uh, in fact, my wife's a Toronto girl, and I'm really a Western boy, and we still kind of argue about that 30 years later. <laughs> for an American, think about being in Buffalo, which is near Toronto, and think about driving West, and imagine if there was nothing between Buffalo and Fargo, North Dakota. It's just empty land, barren land. Well, that's the Canadian Shield, and there's pretty much nothing after you leave Toronto and before you hit Winnipeg. There's Thunder Bay and there's Sudbury, but nothing of note. Blaze, you're talking a geography. I'm much more interested in your view of the people. Now, you're in Chicago, and it has major problems with crime, uh, school teachers' strikes, a very strange mayor. I'm guessing that when you left home in Ottawa, it was a much quieter city than Chicago is today. Uh, describe any changes in your life as a result. The week we left, the week we moved, there was somebody on Elgin Street in Ottawa uh, visiting from England. Somebody just was driving down Elgin Street, leaned over, didn't know this guy shot and killed him. And also the sportscaster, I forget his name, was also shot and killed. So, yes, of course, Canada has uh, less crime, which is noticeable, but it's not non-existent in Canada. So I would say that that's something that was noticeable. We live in a very safe area, but certainly in the Chicago area, the south side of Chicago is, you know, it's what, 500 people were murdered last mm -hmm. year, quite a toll. Human toll. Right, for sure. Well, people might be interested to know why there is actually two very distinct cultures in Canada. You know, if you go back to the Plains of Abraham, when the British were fighting against the French, the British won. And what they did, which was quite different for that time, you remember when Sweden and Denmark fought and the southern part of Sweden was Danish and the Swedes took it over. I was there actually for the Copenhagen Climate Conference in, in Denmark. I went over to Sweden and it was quite interesting because you wouldn't know it was different to the rest of Sweden. And yet it had been previously Danish. When the Swedes conquered that part of what was Denmark and southern, southern Sweden now, they forced the, the Danes to take up the Swedish language, the culture, and everything else. And so now, you know, to the advantage of the people, there is no particular division. Now, back in when, when Wolf actually conquered the, the French, they decided they didn't want to have the kind of guerrilla terrorist tactics that would typically follow a war like that. So they allowed the French to keep their language, to keep their culture, to keep their religion, everything else, which was actually very progressive for the time. And what that means is that French Quebec is actually a very different place. It even runs on different laws in many cases. Napoleonic Code, I believe it's called. And so we ended up with two very distinct cultures. There's a big advantage to that, of course, because it makes it a more interesting country. We used to say when we were growing up, that, because I grew up in Montreal, in Quebec, that uh, if you went to a French party, there was either a fight or an orgy. If you went to the English party, well, you'd probably go home early. <laughs> so there is well, quite a difference. And that's where it well, originated. While, uh, while living in Ottawa, Blaze, we understand your family actually had a connection with the family of the former Canadian Prime Minister, Pierre Trudeau, the father of the current tyrannical Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. What was that all about? 
Well, I have a number of connections. Uh, I have a family member who was Justin Trudeau's nanny. So I don't know this person. My wife does, of course. So we have a connection there. We were personal friends with Ian Shugart. We used to go to a Bible study at his house every week. He's the chief of the Privy Council, the top unelected official in Canada. He's just gone out with cancer not too long ago. We also attended church with the uh, former health minister for Trudeau, who left over the SNC-Lavalin scandals. Might be something that Americans need to know. This man is, is very corrupt for Mila Moroni. So a number of connections, not, not firsthand. Although I used to see um, Jean Chrétien uh, walking around my building, <laughs> the former prime minister, when he was in the wilderness uh, before he was elected. Knowing these people, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you watched Canada very closely in the last uh, decade that you've been in Chicago. Uh, have you viewed the apparent decline of Canada politically and its loss of uh, freedom among its citizens? I mean, you, have you been able to be on top of that and, in a sense, be, be glad you left? Yeah, very much so. As some listeners may know, I was in an interview uh, earlier on this uh, station with Sam, one of the truckers who was um, second or tertiary, uh, you know, in command. Um, and uh, we were communicating with him quite a bit. So, yeah, I've been following this quite assiduously. But one of the things that really sticks out to me, you know, is where the really the, uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is being violated. And then, of course, Mr. Trudeau also absconded, whatever term you want to use, with people's bank accounts who supported the truckers. And this is a, there, there's a silver lining behind this, in my opinion. And that is that I believe that this was kind of not planned. And Chris, Christy Freeland, who's a deputy prime minister, some people may know about in, in the US, but they let the cat out of the bag too early. So Mr. Trudeau tried to confiscate bank accounts of people who didn't, you know, this is like the North Korean leader would do. And that's a massive degradation of democracy and liberty. And in fact, people should look up Brian Peckford, who is the last living author of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. He has massively come out against what Trudeau did. Uh, it's easily available if you just do a search for Brian Peckford, as it sounds. And so, yeah, there's there's been a massive degradation of liberties, freedoms, justice. That's my take. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually, especially for anybody who disagrees with Trudeau, because it's interesting when they seized those bank accounts, when they froze those bank accounts and they gave the banks the authority to do it and they couldn't be sued. That was part of the agreement. They actually were doing something quite different to what they even in the past had to do for the mafia. Believe it or not, for mafia bank seizing or the seizing of mafia bank accounts, they needed a court order they, to seize people's bank accounts that supported the convoy. They didn't even need a court order. They could just do it right away. And it's interesting that some of the banks went further than the RCMP told them to go. They actually, on their own, decided to freeze people's bank accounts. And so there was actually apparently 
a flood of people taking their money out of accounts. And that may be why Trudeau lifted the state of emergency and stopped doing it, because if enough people take out the money, if there's a run on the bank, you know, we're in trouble. So, yeah, I, I agree. The loss of freedom is very pronounced and it is mainly political. In fact, I would say that the convoy leader, Tamara Litch, her name is L-I-C-A, yes. she, she was arrested. And, you know, it's interesting because not only did the media exaggerate, what was going on when she was arrested. She was completely compliant. She turned around, you know, put her arms behind her back. They put her in cuffs and took her off. There was no fuss at all. But the media reported, CTV said that she was yelling, you know, hold the line, hold the line. Well, <laughs> you can actually see on the video that that's false. And when they took her into court for her bail hearing, which she was refused the first time around. But anyway, the bottom line is she was actually in ankle chains, if you can believe that. Now, I mean, they wouldn't do that even for a mafia type. So it's not just that they take away civil liberties. They're doing it based on your political activities and views. Let me ask the two of you both having Canadian citizenship. And our listeners uh, who have heard our program before know that Tom lives in Ottawa. Have you witnessed Mr. Trudeau becoming a Marxist, clearly a communist and evil a tyrant? Uh, was this a slow progression or uh, did people not understand that when they first elected him? Because maybe they liked his father, which certainly didn't have a good reputation either. But how have you seen his progress in the total Marxist communist tyranny? Let me just back up one moment, if I may. You talked about Tamara Litch and her arrest. Not only this corruption there, but... Um, for example, in Alberta at the Coots Crossing, which I've been across multiple times, there the RCMP, our, our deeply respected RCMP, took a number of excavators, trashed them. These are 100,000 plus pieces of equipment because they might possibly be used in the protest. They, they had committed no crime. They're on private property. And the RCMP went and did massive damage to these. And they admitted it on uh, Rebel News, did a uh, called them and they put it, as they were phoning, they put it on you know, the broadcast and the guy's admitting it right there. What happened to the rule of law? Ask about what's happening with Trudeau. Meanwhile, you've got this cronyism. And of course, Mr. Trudeau has the former drama teacher, that's his qualifications. You know, he has a $19 million, I believe it is, property in Tofino, BC, on, on Vancouver Island, where I also used to live. I'm assuming that was paid for, you know, that's your, you tell me, but maybe that SNC-Lavalin money or, or the um, or the WE, there's all these, these scandals. Of, it's just, it's like the Biden crime family. You know, well, I think Hunter Biden, think Justin Trudeau, it's all about money. It's always about money with these guys. So... Mm -hmm. You know, one of the sad things that has happened here, I would imagine there are only a few of our listeners that don't know what the RCMP stands for. It's the Royal Canadian Mount Mounted Police. And I doubt if there's a law and order group in the world that has been thought of more highly. And for those listeners who have followed what was going on with the trucker protest and seeing how horribly the Royal Canadian Mounted Police handled the situation. 
uh, I think they've they're they're uh, have been trashed and and they deserve to have been trashed. We would only previously only uh, thought of them in the highest way. There was a fabulous television show about them some years ago. This is a very sad thing, but it's probably uh, good that our citizens in the United States uh, recognize this uh, as, as a top point that really makes Canada look not what we used to think of them as a laid back, uh, quiet uh, country. Of course, many of the people are exactly that, but uh, you made a a comment of some things true Doe is doing it was what you'd expect of uh, the North Korean leader. So it yeah. is a sad turn of events. Yeah. One of the things that Trudeau has done, which is very unfortunate, is instead of trying to unify people, he's acted to divide people. As the convoy was approaching Ottawa, he said that these are racist, mis misogynist, you know, and he talked about them being nasty sympathizers and things like that, which, of course, is nonsense. I mean, my wife and I and our kids, we all went down to the different protests and we saw nothing but friendly people. We saw lots of women, people from all different races. You know, maybe there was a Nazi flag here and there, you know, we never saw any, but I mean, in a, in a crowd of tens of thousands, you're going to have a few nuts, but the group was generally speaking, very peaceful and very law abiding, you know, shoveling the, shoveling the, uh, the road around the area they were in, giving food to the poor, all sorts of things. You wouldn't expect that from Black Lives Matter, for example. In fact, it's interesting because I'd like a comment from Jim on this. As you probably know, Prime Minister Trudeau went to a Black Lives Matter rally in Ottawa and he kneeled. <laughs> he wouldn't even talk to the truckers in this rally. And Mr. Trudeau, of course, a lot of listeners may not know, but it's very easy. He's been at least twice and does not know if there are more pictures out where he is in blackface. Yeah. So if we're talking about racism, uh, maybe you had to look in a mirror a couple things to this point. One thing listeners need to do is don't, don't use Google. Go use DuckDuckGo or something. Don't feed the crocodile. That's only going to planning to eat you later in the afternoon. Uh, use another search engine and browser. I use Brave myself. But there was a woman, and all you got to do is go on uh, Woman Trampled Ottawa, perhaps, some keywords. There was a Aboriginal First Nations woman, elderly woman in a mobility scooter who was trampled by one of the police, I believe was RCMP, it may not have been, horse. Now, imagine if this was uh, the reverse, and this was a Antifa, BLM, other type of protest. And they're talking about racism. Well, Tamara Lich is part Métis to the listeners, and Métis is kind of an Indian-French mix. They're considered First Nations. But the woman who was trampled was elderly. She was a woman. She was Indian or First Nations. And mm -hmm. she was trampled. Why was this not front page news? So both uh, Lich who was arrested yeah. and the woman was trampled. Uh, and then also we watched uh, one of our favorite uh, broadcasters on Rebel News, Alexa Lavoie, who uh, oh, yeah. is so typically... Quebecois, you know, just like a thousand other women I've worked with or known. I actually lived on the Quebec side of the border as well for a while. And she's just a sweet woman. And she was um, basically assaulted by a police and shot by a tear gas canister at close range. 
just reverse this. This would be front page news for a month. They're destroying the country. Now, I'll tell you why they're not <laughs> making it front page news. It's because in Canada, our government actually pays our media. Our biggest media by far, of course, is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CBC, and they receive over a billion dollars of taxpayers' money. But just recently, they've actually funded hundreds of millions of dollars funneling to other media as well. So most of the mainstream media are actually funded by the Trudeau government. So, I mean, does that happen in the U.S., Jay? No, it, it uh, doesn't, but our government owns the, the media politically. I mean, they give money to national public uh, radio. Everybody in the media in the United States, with the rare exception of uh, uh, websites and one major newspaper called Epic Times, mm -hmm. is uh, totally liberal, largely Marxist, certainly the evolution of a leftist uh, media has uh, taken place over the last uh, 40 years. So uh, they haven't had to spend any money on it, uh, as was the case in Canada that did not have the same uh, leftist media uh, from, uh, from childhood. So they've turned it leftist with the money that they're supporting it with. Yeah, exactly. In fact, there's a slogan that you might laugh at. They say that everything you hear in the media is correct, except that about which you have personal firsthand knowledge. <laughs> so, I mean, I think one of the big casualties of the truckers' protests, and this is a good thing, is that many more people are simply not believing the press because they would go downtown, they would see that these were not racists, they were not misogynists. I mean, a lot of them were, as you say, they were native people who were female. <laughs> so they're obviously not racist misogynist. So a lot of these accusations that we're hearing echoed in the media, because of course Trudeau starts it and then the media echo it. People know that this is just completely wrong. So indeed, I think that that's a positive thing in a way that's come out of this protest is that people know you simply can't trust the media. So on that note, I guess we better go to a commercial break. So we'll be right back. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free ultra-absorption ingestible gel. It tastes great comes in a convenient squeeze gel pack, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Constitution is the most magnificent document on earth. We are America Out Loud. Join us as we celebrate the genius of our founding fathers. You can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. 
today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both on the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. Our guest today is Blaze Vanny. He's a dual U.S.-Canadian citizen who lived about half of his adult life in both countries, so his perspective on the differences between Canada and the U.S. are actually very interesting. So, Blaze, tell me, you were going to say something more about the media in Canada. Well, yes, I think uh, CBC's got over a billion dollars. I forget the exact number, but uh, I was going to quote Mark Twain, who said that, uh, you know, if you... um, if you don't have you haven't read the news, you're uninformed. If you have read the news, you're misinformed. And <laughs> yeah. you know, I date my activism back to uh, a meeting that I had regarding a social political issue. I I could go into details, but I won't. Uh, University of Ottawa. We rented a hall, and CTV was there. It was the lead story in one of Canada's two national uh, TV stations. And they outright lied through their teeth the next day. Uh, It was a lead story on national news across the country. And that just outraged me. But just two things for listeners. Um, If you want to find out what happened in the truckers uh, protest, I lived, lived, worked, uh, I got my wedding reception. I spent the first two nights of my marriage Everything is in the background of where those protests were. Western Hotel, National Arts Center, it's all right there. I worked a block from where the protests were. Go on YouTube, and there's a guy called Otto Walks, like in walking. Otto Walks, like Ottawa and Walks. And this guy walks around for two hours, and just he doesn't say much. So you can make your own judgments. Just go back to the dates in question. And we don't need, uh, we don't, uh, to quote, um, you know, Sierra Madre and uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, we don't need no stinking media. Go check that out. One point uh, to that, uh, I'll say, is, you know, one thing that was made a big deal of was there was a Confederate flag that was spotted. Uh, interestingly enough, I lived about two blocks from where that was spotted in Major Sill Park. I either walked to work every day or I used to go for walks at night through Major Hill Park. That was off. So there's this Confederate flag. A news flash to the uh, listeners. Um, first of all, Major Hill Park was off to the side. I bet somebody from Antifa unfurled it. They got the snap and he took off. But second of all, news flash to the news media. Last I checked my history, Canada was not involved in the Civil War. Um, So, you know, Confederate flags don't have a lot of resonance to Canadians. Now, if you had uh, Vive le Quebec Libre, you know, with uh, Charles de Gaulle or something, and uh, Pierre Laporte being murdered, that might be a little bit different. Yeah, that that really, that is fascinating uh, that they they did that really to uh, raise the ire of... uh, Americans that would have seen it as a negative when it really wasn't involved at all. I want to move uh, and ask both of you questions about the uh, Canadian economy 
it's always been a strong uh, energy country. The United States has always gotten a considerable amount of oil from Alberta's tar sands. Uh, we've been a major beneficiary of all of Canadian oil. And then Biden gets elected and he closes off the Canadian uh, pipeline and reduced our cooperation with Canada. Why do you think he did that? And how are the Canadians reacting to it? Yeah, well, he did it to please the environmental left within the party. In fact, it's interesting, CBC, and by the way, I'll just tell you one thing quick about CBC, because Jim was mentioning them. You know, you can actually see their bias. As a fun experiment, I encourage listeners, and there's about 20,000 of you out there, and I encourage you to go to the cbc.ca website, find any article which talks about Trump which talks about climate change, which talks about the protest, and get on their comment section and express an alternative point of view. Give references, you know, make a really solid argument. What you'll find is the CBC moderators will immediately cancel your posting. And I used to do this quite often, actually, because it was quite funny. You get a posting and you get lots of people liking your posting and then immediately it was deleted because the CBC didn't want people to see it. So I finally got on and I said, well, I'm going to take a screen capture of all of these deletes and send it to oh, other okay. media to actually show them how biased the censors are at the CBC. And the next day I got on, not only were all my postings deleted, even ones that were pretty innocuous, just saying, hey, did you know that the infection rate among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated is exactly the same right now? Even that was deleted. But not only that, but they permanently banned me from the site. Now, I, so I do encourage people, get on cbc.ca, put on your comments in support of Trump or in, in these other issues that have a left-right division and watch them delete it. It's gonna be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to answer your question, Jay, and that is concerning why Biden did that. You know, it's interesting because the CBC did have a very useful article in which they said that it was environmental symbolism. The difference that Keystone would have made to greenhouse gas emissions globally is virtually nothing. And so even if you do believe that we're causing climate change from greenhouse gases, I certainly don't. But regardless, even if you did, Keystone wouldn't make any difference. But the environmental movement made Keystone XL a symbol of whether or not the Americans were serious in leading the world on stopping climate change. And so that's why Biden killed it. Now, the sad thing is, in response to Biden vetoing the pipeline, you have politicians like Jason Kenney, the premier of Alberta, who talked about jobs and who talked about, you know, wealth creation and how the pipeline was more environmentally friendly than trucks and trains and things like that. They, they used all those arguments, which are all true. In fact, the recent attorney generals from 18, 19, 19 states, actually, they sued Biden over the Keystone XL cancellation in light of the Russian cancellation. So why not take Canadian oil instead of going to Venezuela? But um, they didn't really talk about the reason it was canceled. None of the people in Canada supporting the pipeline practically are saying there is no climate emergency. So the main reason for canceling the pipeline is just not valid. And because they won't attack the main reasons that it was canceled, they lose. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, to the listeners, Alberta has about as much oil as Saudi Arabia does in the oil sands, ballparkish. Uh, second of all, okay, so now we're getting this oil down by rail and um, by truck. 
which is less safe and costs more energy. So really what's the logic behind this? My opinion is that there is a deeper, uh, more nefarious uh, agenda afoot. And that is really, for people may agree or disagree, but there's really a controlled demolition of the economy that uh, the World Economic Forum, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, is involved with. And really what I, what I, the term I use is something called fascial Marxism. And really we're, we're battling a melange of fascism and Marxism. And there, there's kind of a systematic uh, attempt to take down, uh, you know, do a controlled demolition of energy, uh, you know, through anthropogenic global warming, uh, our health, our healthcare, transhumanism, uh, digital currencies, Malthusianism, which will be part of what I think underlies a lot of this, uh, is something people really need to get uh, uh, an idea about because I really think this underpins uh, a lot of the whole global warming, the energy. Uh, you know, for one example that I always uh, jokingly refer to is the great horse manure crisis of 1894 where London was supposed to uh, be covered in 20, 30 feet of horse manure in, in 20 years or whatever it was. Of course, that didn't happen because as what happened with the, for example, the Julian Simon, Paul Ehrlich wager that minds matter more than mouths. And when it comes to the energy issue and the uh, Keystone pipeline and shutting it down and global warming, uh, just briefly, um, uh, Simon, uh, Paul, uh, Julian Simon and Paul Ehrlich had a wager back 20, 30 years ago. And Ehrlich, the global warmer, he used to be a global cooler, by the way, and I have quotes from him on this, um, and then became a catastrophic global warmer, go figure. Uh, they, uh, Julian Simon said, look, uh, you take a basket of goods and in 10 years, I believe the price will go down. And Ehrlich lost. Uh, you know, the, the issue is, is that food grows uh, arithmetically and population grows geometrically and we're gonna run out of food. And they've been saying this since um, Thomas Malthus with the British East India Company wrote this. Well, well, you have explained this very well and you're exactly right. They really wanna take down capitalism uh, they want to take down everything uh, that is good and mostly then uh, take over power. And uh, they're doing a pretty good job of it. But the, the Keystone Pipeline was never about uh, emissions of uh, carbon dioxide. It really, uh, Obama battled it for eight years and it could have been in production for over a decade, but Obama was the first to throw every considerable conceivable monkey wrench into the machinery to stop it. And of course, uh, the first one of the first things Trump did was to okay its uh, continuation. And likewise, literally on the first day in office, Biden stopped it. And it really was uh, giving what all the environmental zealots wanted. So it was a political move. It never had any basis in uh, science at all. 
uh, no basis in the uh, the fear of uh, global warming having a ne- negative impact uh, on the earth, but it really uh, has been very effective. But the question I really want to ask, and I already asked it, and neither of you have given me an answer, what do you think uh, the rank and file Canadian citizen that is in any way involved with your energy, what do they think about it? Well, they think it's crazy. In fact, you know, you're seeing various groups across Canada which are afraid to contest the climate symbolism reason for canceling it, but they talk about the very valid points that that I brought up earlier, that it's an inexpensive way to get energy across the border. It's a safe way to do it. it. The United States would be relying on a reliable partner, somebody who's your friend. Instead, they're going to Venezuela, who, you know, many of their oil companies have deals with Russian companies so that the money does end up going back to Russia. Not all of it, but some of it goes back to Russia anyways. And then they're talking about Saudi oil and they're talking about Iranian oil. I mean, good grief. They're more afraid, Biden and company are more afraid of the left-wing climate zealots within the party and, of course, the activists outside. He's more afraid of that than he is of the American public who are going to say, why are you dealing with dictatorial human rights abusers when you just have to approve a pipeline that actually is being fully approved environmentally and logistically its whole length, except for the chunk that goes across the border, and he turned it all off based on that. So people are pretty angry about it, but sadly, they're not arguing the real point. You find that, Jim? Yes. Um, you know, relative to the whole issue about getting our oil from the Middle East, you know, right now there's been a quarter million Yemenis that have been killed in the war there. Uh, that's uh, just a few more than it's happened in Ukraine. The UN a week ago, it said 500 have been killed. Every life is, you know, a, a tragedy. I get that. But here's the question I have. What have happened to all the no blood for oil people back, you know, 15, 20, whenever that was. Uh, so now we're sending all our money to unstable areas when we could get it from an area that is stable and, and is peaceful. And we won't do that. Blood is on the hands of these leftists that are that have cut uh, shut down the Keystone Pipeline. All right, I, I think there's no question about that. I want to get back a little more to the uh, politics of Canada for our listeners, and I'd like you to uh, Blaze compare and contrast the leadership qualities of the senior Trudeau, who was Prime Minister some years ago, and that of his son. How, how have they differed? Well, you know, was, Pierre was a long time ago. I mean, I was in BC and Alberta and he was uniformly hated because basically for the listeners, Toronto runs, you know, the country and people in the West, you know, the, the polls close and the prime minister has already been elected. So, but at least Pierre Trudeau, you know, has some qualifications Justin Trudeau is a drama teacher who uh, was in West Point Gray, where I used to live, where University of British Columbia is. And it is one of the most expensive areas in North America. Last I looked, Vancouver was the the most expensive, not adjusted for currency. But um, any way you cut it, it's one of the most expensive cities. And he lived in one of the most expensive areas. And he was a drama teacher. So... I, he has no qualifications. And in fact, I read 
that he was kind of tabbed by the World Economic Forum when he walked into, um, uh, what is it, the, um, the C old CP Hotel um, over in, um, in Quebec. And he walked in barefoot uh, to a meeting and they said, oh yeah, this, this guy will be perfect. Uh, really, Christy of Freeland, who is uh, a, a deep state operative, in my opinion, is really running, you know, along. In fact, uh, Klaus Schwab himself said that over half of the part of, of the cabinet of uh, Justin Trudeau is controlled by him. And he's on YouTube saying that this is not speculation. Yeah. Just again, weren't, weren't, they actually, weren't they trained in something by Schwab? Well, Schwab, uh, Schwab wrote a book called, uh, you know, the big uh, great, uh, great reset before uh, Justin and uh, Glenn Beck wrote a book by the same uh, title. And in uh, Klaus Schwab's book, he laid out a plan basically to do all the things that uh, Blaze uh, described were going on right now and uh then glenn beck uh wrote a, a book same title explaining how they've succeeded uh in this plan but again i, I want to get back to people in the united states and uh canada for our listeners that haven't spent much time in canada now that you've had a decade in the united states how would you compare and contrast the average personalities of uh, people in the United States versus uh, Canadian citizens. I think that would be interesting to hear your opinion. Well, just as a sociological note, you know, there, there's a, a division, which I, I just, it's very interesting. You know, there's Southerners, there's people from New England, you know, the New Yorkers, the archetypical kind of rude <laughs> New Yorker, uh, the cold Bostonian, uh, then you got the flyover country and you got the people in uh, uh, the, uh, the West Coast. Uh, it's, it's interesting because, and just as a, as a sidelight for listeners, there'll be, as I mentioned before, the Canadian shield is a massive bifurcation between West and East. So there is a big divide and most Easterners are, Eastern Canadians are unaware of the, the animosities that Westerners have. I had very good friends, uh, French-speaking friends in uh, Quebecois, uh, friends in Ottawa. And one told me once he wanted to go visit Alberta and the Canadian Rockies. And he said, but I'm nervous. They don't like French. And I said, Dan, it's, it's not the French they hate. It's Easterners in general. <laughs> so, but there's that division. And then, of course, the French and English. Unknown to the listeners is there's also another division, and that's the, the Poor Sisters, the Maritimes, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, uh, New Brunswick, PEI. And they're uh, routinely, um, you know, poverty struck and, you know, they're, they're kind of getting handouts from the federal government. And they're all leaving, you know, Newfoundland. Half of my friends in Alberta seem to be from Newfoundland. So that's there is some similarities with these divisions. And, you know, I have literally more than once driven from the far west coast of Vancouver Island, Tofino, all the way across the country, to the far end where we own property in Nova Scotia, in um, Glace Bay, uh, next stop, England. So I've seen the whole country. And um, 
I've driven it the whole distance. I don't know, six, 7,000 kilometers. I know the country really well. And let's say I've lived in Quebec. I know the French. I know the Westerners. My wife's a Toronto girl. We still argue about that. But um, yeah, there's there's a division, just like there is in the U.S., between the you know the Alabama, Alabama, Alabamans and the New Yorkers and the the people from North Dakota. So that's similar in that sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think an experiment people should try is when they cross the border between Canada and the United States, between Ontario and say um, northern New York. Notice the difference in the filler word used by the border crossing guard. You, you come across into Canada, they say, you have nothing to declare, eh? And you come across in the United States, they say, you have nothing to declare, huh? <laughs> so the use of the word A in Canada replaces your huh in the United States. That's the biggest and most important difference, of course, Jay. <laughs> that really is very humorous. But it is interesting what Blaze has said, that uh, you have similar difference, differences all across uh, Canada as we have differences across the United States. So my question to try to average out the personality of a Canadian and uh, someone in the U.S. is is not a good question because there there is no average. They're all uh, kinds of, of people. I think the perhaps mythology I grew up with going back, say, a half a century ago, where the Canadians were laid back uh, docile and uh, quiet where everyone in the United States was uh, uh, louder and uh, uh, had more to say and uh, and were not passive as Canadians are. So you're saying that uh, I'm sure that description worked for some of the people in Canada, but your variations were just like ours. Yeah, yeah, especially in New England. If you go across the border between Quebec and, let's say, Maine, it's funny because most of my friends in Maine, we used to camp every summer in Maine, they, they were surprised that we spoke English. They said, well, we, all, all, we thought all of Canadians were French because, of course, Quebec, you're having lots and lots of French people go down, French-speaking people go down into Maine. And certainly they would find that the Canadians were more excited and more aggressive because, you know, this is part of the French culture to be you know, la joie de vivre, you know. So, I mean, they would be more outgoing than Maine people or Vermont or New Hampshire people. So, yeah, Jay, it varies depending on what part of the country you're in, that's for sure. You know, you talk about the differences. I'll tell you this, though, if you want to kind of stereotype, Toronto is much more aggressive. But interestingly enough, I believe it's something like 50% of Canadians live south of the border between California and Oregon. So half Canadians live south of Northern California. Uh, mm -hmm. And Windsor is uh, across from Detroit. That's halfway down Northern California. So, you know, that's a bar joke if you've never heard it. Uh, you can make a bet uh, with somebody in a bar and say, if you uh, traveled from Detroit South, what would the first foreign country be that you encountered? Hmm. And of course, most people would say Mexico, but of course it happens to be uh, Canada because Windsor, Ontario, is south of the American city oh. of Detroit. Wow. 
Yeah, that's cool. You know, you know, one thing that um, is is interesting, I think, for listeners is that Canadians, generally speaking, really like Americans. You know, it's interesting when your presidents come to Ottawa, we often get people out protesting in favor of the United States. My wife and I went and she had a big sign. It said friends in freedom. It had Canadian American flags. When Ronald Reagan came here and when George Bush came here. And yet the interesting thing is the CBC and other media when they went past my wife, you know, it's a good looking lady holding up a big pro-American, pro-Canada sign. They just completely ignored it. And instead, they focus on the protesters with ugly signs with blood and everything else. They focus on that. So if Americans watch the media coverage of American presidents' visits to Ottawa, you get the impression that we all hate Americans. But it's not the case. In fact, we love Americans. We have a lot of fun going to the United States for our holidays and everything else. The trouble is our media hate Americans. And that doesn't reflect us at all. Well, taking into account everything uh, you two Canadians have said, I want to ask the same question of both of you. Where do you think Canada will be five years from now and 10 years from now uh, with regard to all these issues that we've discussed? Yeah, I mean, of course, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, yeah, you know, the problem is, uh, is that Canada is much more leftist. As Tom alluded to, the liberals, which are kind of left, and the NDP, which is far left, and there's the Green Party, and they're even farther left. They're 50% of the population. We did have a prime minister in Harper who got in because there are you know, various you know, things that, uh, that occurred that were maybe one-offs. A um, little bit like the governor of Maine, Lepage, getting in once uh, years ago when there was some fights internally. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of hope. I do feel though that Justin Trudeau is so utterly incompetent and corrupt that the next election uh, may, um, uh, you know, turn out for good. And there is a, what I consider an up and coming star uh, who's a, a Irish, he was a, adopted from Ireland by a Franco-Albertan family. His name is Pierre Polyev, who might be, uh, Tom, your, your MP. He's ours. And, um, you know, he's, he's a French background, French speaker, but he lived in Alberta. He could unite uh, the West and the East. He, he's got, you know, he's French, you know, heritage, being raised in a French family. And he is really sharp. And we're very excited about him. Although, you know, whether he makes it further is anybody's guess. But keep your eye on uh, him. Uh, Pierre Poliev is, is um, uh, how, he's, how he pronounces it. Yeah. Well, right now they have a leadership campaign going on, a contest going on for the Canadian Conservative Party. And he is by far the leading candidate. So very likely he's going to have a much higher profile. He's currently an MP for a riding south of us, south of Ottawa. We have a Liberal, unfortunately, as our MP. But regardless, he's actually very good. And I think we're going to see him as leader of the official opposition. But I sadly think that Trudeau is going to stay in power for at least another three years, because the next federal election is not due to take place 
before the 20th of October, 2025. Now the prime minister in Canada can call an election whenever he wants, which is a weird system. It's one of the reasons that we're not that democratic because they wait till a time when it's favorable for the federal current government to have an election. So they just call a snap election and literally within six weeks, we go to the polls. I mean, it's a very quick election decided by the current sitting government. So I'm a little more pessimistic than you, Blaze, because I think that Trudeau is definitely staying in until 2025. And as long as the NDP back him, he could be in indefinitely. And I mean indefinitely because unlike the United States, where he can only stay in for two four-year terms, a Canadian prime minister can stay in for his whole life. Literally, he can stay in for 30 years. Some prime ministers have been in for way over 10 years. So I feel quite pessimistic. I think that we're going to see Canada shift more and more left, especially with this NDP liberal alliance. We're going to see more crazy climate policies. We're going to see more poverty promotion, essentially, by higher and higher taxes. We're going to see a mess in Canada over the next few years, and it's going to be quite a warning to the United States. So there's a positive for Americans as Canada goes further and further socialist. Yeah, I wrote a series of articles and uh, with regard to Ottawa, particularly co-authored with you, Tom, about the insanity going on in uh, Ottawa, specifically in Canada in general, with regard to the global warming total uh, fraud. And I said that they are uh, a model of all the things we should not do and should not be. So uh, you just said it exactly right, that for the United States, Canada is doing us a favor of uh, doing all the things that our leaders right now plan to do, but probably will be defeated as a result, in some cases, our viewing uh, Canada, which is it's sad that our neighbor to the north has become essentially a communist-led government, just like Uh, The country we've known way to the south, Cuba, has uh, been a communist disaster for most of our lives. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, we got to wrap up there. Our guest today has been Blaise Vanny, and he's a dual U.S.-Canadian citizen talking about the differences between Canada and the United States. And so fortunately, we have you guys as our friend. We'll be down there for holidays a lot, especially as Canada deteriorates with this socialism creep. Anyway, this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. Mm-hmm.